Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion, whatever that means to you. And as the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, our small business owners, our local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches and consultants and mentors. We have the folks who help others create and grow their businesses. And we have do-it-yourselfers like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, and many of our listeners who tune in every week, like me, are all of the above, take a moment, explore episodes, discover how we serve you at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to check us out on your favorite network, such as iTunes. Be sure to subscribe. Every five-star or top-star rating gets us, helps us serve more business creators just like you. Plus, when you subscribe, you're going to get immediate access to over 260 episodes on a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you, along with fresh content every single week. Sound good? Well, today, we are going to have some fun. And what we're going to cover today is about creating the fans first experience, also known as creating a circus and going all in on fans first. You can already see we're going to be having a little bit of fun here. And just to let you know what kind of fun we're going to have, we have a gentleman who's joining us today who's known as the Yellow Tux Guy, the P.T. Barnum of baseball. And he owns Seven yellow tuxedos and wears them every single day. Well, which makes sense. The tux a day for a week. He also proposed to his wife in his yellow tux in front of a crowd of a sold-out crowd at, as his bio says, our stadium. Thank goodness she said yes. And our stadium means, well, he owns a baseball team. His name is Jesse Cole. He is the founder of Fans First Entertainment, and he's the owner of the Savannah Bananas. Jesse's teams have welcomed more than 1 million fans of their ballparks and have been featured on MSNBC, CNN, and ESPN. Cole's teams have been awarded Organization of the Year, Entrepreneur of the Year, Business of the Year, and have won three CPL championships. The Savannah Bananas currently have sold out every game for two straight seasons and have a waiting list in the thousands for tickets. Jesse released his first book, which is called Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out in January of 2018, which is one month before this other guy, just some guy, released some book called Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy. You know who that is. Jesse's book launched number one in three categories on Amazon and has been sold in 18 countries. Staying true to his mantra, what's normal do the exact opposite, Cole launched the book with a world book tour at Epcot. Jesse Cole believes to be successful, you need to stand out and be different. He releases daily videos and blogs on LinkedIn and findyouryellowtux.com. He's passionate about creating attention, loving your customers more than your product, and loving your employees more than your customers. And Jesse is the host of the Business Done Differently podcast. So let's welcome Jesse Cole. Jesse, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> I'm pumped to have fun with you. Thanks for that amazing intro. But I loved your opening where you said 
fantastic, and you emphasize the fan. So thank you, Adam. I'm excited <laughs> to be on the show. We always say fantastic that way, but I put a little extra mark on it just for you. <laughs> so Loved it. Uh, what we like to do here, and we have a lot of stuff to cover today, because just in reading your very impressive official bio, that bio itself brings up a number of questions I hope we have time to cover today. But what we like to do, I know that some of our listeners are currently opening a separate browser tab. They're Googling Jesse Cole. They're Googling uh, Find Your Yellow Tux. They're Googling the Savannah Bananas. And they're trying to get to know a little bit more about you. So let's take a step back. And we heard from your bio. We have your websites. But what we'd like to do is just hear a little bit about your personal story and what's motivated you down this path that has brought you to where you are today serving the world from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. All right. Well, that's rock and roll. I mean, I think for me, the personal story, it starts, you know, as a kid and it's really guided me in everything. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was eight years old. Um, my father fought hard to get me. My mother had some challenges to say the least. And at that point, eight years old, my father uh, took me in and worked all the time. And I was constantly alone by myself. Uh, I remember literally, telling my dad I would ride my bike to, uh, you know, friends' houses when I never did. And I realized how challenging that time was as a kid. And as crazy and deep as that is, that, that's guided me in everything. Because from when I was a little kid, I've always wanted to bring people together, to be surround myself with people, to not feel alone, and to also always make my dad proud. And that's really guided me. And, you know, I think everyone looks at what their purpose is and saw what you do. It's not how you do it. It's why you do it. But thinking about those challenges as a kid growing up feeling alone, that has guided me to literally try to change the game of baseball here and bring thousands of people together and really care for them and make them feel a part of something special. And as an entrepreneur, we always go through struggles and challenges. And, you know, I've slept on an airbed. My wife and I have had unbelievable challenges. But I think the reason why we're creating something special in our ballparks and selling it every game is we are obsessed with this fans first experience of caring for people and loving our customers even more than loving our product. And that's everything for us. And so I, when we go to the personal, I mean, I know what my why is, I know what my purpose is, and that's been really driving me in everything we do. This is going to be so much fun. So let's begin <laughs> with some practical knowledge. And what do you have to share with us about how you've created a fans first experience at what's called the lowest level of baseball and have not only sold out every single game, but have a waiting list in the thousands for tickets to the Savannah Bananas, which, by the way, is a very creative name. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Got to go bananas. Well, I think at a, for us, it came down. I, I started with a team in Gastonia, North Carolina, which is a small town outside of Charlotte. And what I talk about in my book is the mirror moment. And I realized then at 23 years old, I became the GM of a team, and they were failing. Literally, I mean, 200 fans coming to the game. I mean, we had $268 in our bank account. The team was the worst team in the entire country. And that was the job that I took as a general manager outside of, out of college. And it was then that I realized uh -huh. that the question that I think every business should ask, and it's what business are you in, but what business are you really in? And I realized that the team was there playing baseball for seven years, but no one cared. And to many people, baseball is long slow and boring. So I realized then at 23, we had to make it not like a baseball game. We had to make it like a circus. And so that's what we decided to do and started rolling the dice and having grandma beauty pageants at the ballparks. We started having our players do choreographed dances. I mean, we came up with the craziest ideas and it worked. 
And then from that point on, you know, we realized that what is that best experience for a fan? And it's not just about a regular baseball game. It's providing nonstop fun and nonstop entertainment. And that's brought me to, like I said, my purpose is just bringing thousands of people together. And so that's what we realized. And that it's been a journey over the last 12 years I've been in the business. And, uh, yeah, every game is sold out now because they're coming to watch our breakdancing first base coach and our senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas and our 30-piece pet yeah. band. They're, they're coming for all this. And they're not just coming for baseball. And I think so many businesses focus so much on their competition and what everyone else is doing. We're not playing the same game. We're not focused on the wins and losses. We're focused on the fun, the experience, and 100% on the customer. And that's why we've been able to win after lots of challenges and tribulations getting there. Wow. Well, you know, and as, you, as I mentioned earlier from the information you provided to us, and I loved how you told this story, is you proposed to your wife in front of all your fans wearing your yellow tuxedo. And I, even though this ha must happen some time ago, right here, sitting here right now today on this interview, I'm breathing a sigh of relief that, <laughs> that she said yes, because that was really putting it on the line. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was an all-in moment there. And, you know, I think everybody needs, obviously, that huge support in their life. And luckily, uh, my wife and I, we met in the industry and, you know, I was like, if I'm going to propose, I better make it something special. So in the middle of a sold-out sold out game, stopped the game, went on and thanked everyone and got down to a knee. And uh, as I got down to a knee, I had the ring inside a baseball, which I opened up. And as she said yes, I had a fireworks show go off. And what's pretty funny, Adams, I ended up delaying the game <laughs> by about 20 minutes. The umpires and the players and the fans were like, when are we going to play again? I'm like, this is our moment, all right? Well, I'm, I'm living this up. And uh, fortunately, she said yes. And uh, we've been on a wild journey together. And shortly after, we came to Savannah and, and started that roller coaster. And so uh, I've been very, very lucky. And she deals with the seven yellow tuxedos all the time. And, and we have a great time together. <laughs> You know, uh, i I got to give you credit for something. You have seven yellow tuxedos, one for each day of the week. So I, I imagine at minimum it saves you at least a few minutes in the morning trying to figure out what you're going to wear. <laughs> you know, in a bigger picture, think about all the decisions we make in a given day. And the fatigue, it's called decision fatigue. you got to decide what are you going to wear, where are you going to go for lunch. I try to eliminate as many decisions as possible that don't matter. And so, yes, yeah. the fact that I wake up, throw on the yellow tuxedo, it makes one less decision in the morning so I can focus on the bigger picture, and that's really taking care of our people, our employees, and taking care of our fans. Yeah, what I do as far as uh, – it's funny you bring up what I have for lunch – is I've made myself a regular at three local places so that I have variety in my life, three local places. And every time I go in, I order the same thing, which is basically something off their menu, but it leaves something off. So, like – you know, give me an, an X, but hold the Y, that type of deal. And mm -hmm. because I'm in there frequently and I have the same thing every time and it has the same modification to it every time, as soon as they see me in, walking through the doorway, they already know what's coming. And if you listen closely enough and you have somebody who's proactive working that day, they'll actually call back what the order is going to be so that it's already prepared by the time I get there. I love it. And, you know, so many people can do that. It's not just in the restaurant business. You know, if you have any regulars, what do they like? Have it prepared before them. Uh, you know, that's how you develop fans for life or customers for life, as it's called. But I love that. And so it's easy. So you go to the same places, you know, you're going to get the same type of service, the same type of meal. And that consistency, you're, you probably enjoy and look forward to every day. Yeah. And, and yeah, because it, it takes a decision off. So, 
as far yeah. as where I'm going to go, okay, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. six of one is half a dozen of the other. Pick one, go for it. And uh, I know what's happening when I get there. They know what's happening when I arrive. So that's a lot of decision points that no longer need to be addressed. Mm, 100%. 100%. I love it. Yeah. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to go down, I guess, sort of a cascade because I want to discuss, uh, you know, you've mentioned the phrase all in a number of times, and I sense that that's very much a part of your personal business and life philosophy. So I'd like to start a little bit about with the all in. Then I want to go down employees, customers, and product, if you'll allow me. So first of all, you know, you were sharing with me back in the green room that it hasn't always been this easy and it hasn't always been this fun. In fact, your wife and you uh, went all in and had to take some steps to get to where you are today. 100%. I mean, three years ago, my wife and I, uh, we had to sell our house, empty out our savings account. We were living on an airbed, uh, trying to make ends meet. That was just three years ago. And it was when we came to Savannah, and we were so excited to get to this new market that had professional baseball here for 90 years, but professional baseball had unfortunately failed. No one was coming to the games. Uh, you know, the fans, the city wasn't willing to build them a new stadium, so they left. And so we decided to come in here. We're going to change it. We're going to make it all fun, all-you-can-eat tickets, all experience with the fans and the players and make it just an unbelievable time, yet the city really didn't, the community didn't buy into us. So the first few months, you know, we weren't selling any tickets. I mean, we sold one ticket, and then it got to a point where wow. we got a call. We got a call on a Friday afternoon, and one of our employees said we overdrafted our account or completely out of money. And that was one of those moments that I'll never forget. And my wife turned to me and said, "We we we have to sell our house. We have no other options." So we sold our dream house. We emptied out our savings account, and we moved down to Savannah. We had another franchise at that point in Gastonia that we just recently sold. But we were we came down here. We bought the the nastiest duplex you could ever imagine. I mean, we we were sleeping on an airbed. There were co- there were cockroaches. There were ants. I mean, it was it was a disaster. Um, but you know what? I think back at that time, and as challenging as it was, that was our first year of marriage, and we were like, is, are we going to be able to make it? We had this unbelievable belief in what we were doing, and everyone says, well, how do you know when to go all in? And it's such a tough thing to answer, but I realized that we had taken so many small bets which I share in my book, we, we tried so many of these things with our other franchises that we knew it just took time for people to believe in it. And it was going to be a very challenging time leaving on that airbed with very little money. But once we could get everyone's attention and get the eyes and the ears of the community and let them know what we are and who we are and what we care about, that it would work. So we, uh, we just decided we're going to do it. And eventually, once we came out with the Savannah Bananas name and all the craziness that we were going to do at the ballpark, People started buying in, and then once they saw those first few games and how much we cared from the first impression to the last impression, it just started taking off. And, you know, I believe attention beats marketing 1,000% of the time, and we created attention with the name, and then once they came into the ballpark, we just loved them more than anyone else, and that's what it's all about for us. Wow. Uh, You know, you you had me at all you can eat. (laughs) Well, all right, let's let's go to that. All right, so think about this. What is the best possible experience for your customer? And think about this again. Whatever you're in, whatever industry you're in, what frustrates customers? So, you know, you think about why Netflix took off and why Blockbuster is dead. You think about why Uber and Lyft took off and cabs are dying. Same thing with going to a sporting event. I have heard so many times, so many people hate going to a sporting event, and they get nickel and dime. They literally pay 6 bucks for this, 7 bucks for a beer, 5 bucks for a hot dog, 4 bucks for this. 
and all of a sudden they have no money left at the end of the day. And we said that, that's not right. the best experience. So we said let's eliminate that. Let's do one price, one, one ticket, and includes everything. And no one, no one's ever done this to the extent that they included every ticket. I mean, every season ticket, group ticket, every ticket is all you can eat. So we said, let's try it. We had no idea what we were doing. I mean, literally. But we said, this is the best experience. So we came up with a ticket right. that included all your, all your burgers, all your hot dogs, all your chicken sandwiches, all your soda, all your water, all your popcorn, all your dessert, and the ticket from once you get into when you leave for $18 total. And, you know, wow. after, it, 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 yeah, it was crazy. And we didn't know what the margins were going to be. We didn't know what it was going to cost. We had no idea. We, and we just tried it. And the first few nights, I mean, people loved it, but the lines were too crazy. We weren't able to get all the food out quick enough. But then we learned. And I think that's a great principle, you know, do and then learn. Henry Ford is quoted as saying, going into a museum, it says he believed in learning by doing. And that's what we did. So we tried that perfect experience, and now we have it down to a T. We know exactly how many burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches to cook every night for our sold-out crowd, and it's a great experience. Right. So I didn't want to go into the well, whole thing, but, again, I think that's hopefully a lesson for people to think. What is that best experience? And go all in on it. Yeah, I think what's, I think what's interesting about this is that, you know, rather than the nickel and dime approach, and I have seen the nickel and dime approach in product sales. I've seen it. And even in services, I've seen web development companies do this, where it's like every single little thing is an extra little charge, including, oh, you need, uh, you need to call us for support, you need help with something, that's going to be uh, $75 an hour with a half-hour minimum. Goodness <laughs> yep, gracious, exactly. criminy. Meanwhile, you know how many people out there would pay a $500 retainer just to have you there in case they need you? <laughs> 100%. 100%. I mean, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, because what happens is, especially in those types of industries, that one or two times you're actually needed is going to be worth way more than five hundred dollars. So it's like putting money in the bank. So when I look at you know going to a major league baseball game, it's like yeah, you basically have to you basically have to make the decision: am I paying my rent or am I going to this game today? Because of what it takes to get a to get a coke, get a beer, get a pretzel, get a hot dog, get a sandwich, what have you. After you wait in line, after you deal with these seats that have been engineered to be too small for the average cat, much less human being, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you've come up with this model whereby having awareness of your not only your costs, but also what motivates your audience to take action. Not what they say they want or say they need, but what motivates them to come in the door. Ooh. That is an exciting thing because you, know, you look at it, $18 is – a price of a good night's entertainment. I back in the day when I used to live in another town, I used to be part of a group that played poker every Thursday, and mm -hmm. the buy-in was thirty dollars. And the way I looked at it is, is you know I, I like poker, but you know sometimes I'm going to win, sometimes I'm going to take a hit, whatever. But the way I look at it is, uh, where else are you going to get such a great time for thirty dollars? Yes, and I don't know if your food, all your food was included all night either. <laughs> Actually, food was provided. Uh, you know, Even we, better. You know, we, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it rotated around. Uh, it rotated around different people's houses, but you know, whoever was hosting that night would uh, put out a little spread for everybody. So yeah, there were mm. there was food. Uh, uh, usually there was some beer and such provided, although it could be BYOB if you wanted something else. Yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, that's. You know, we try to make all of our decisions very simple. The name of our company is Fans First Entertainment, and everything we ask is it fans first. And so when we made that decision to say all of our tickets are going to all you can eat, 
You know, we're going to have a director of fun at all our games. We're going to have a director of first impressions. We're going to have the band. All those decisions were, is this fans first, and is it providing the best fan experience? And, again, I say fans constantly, but obviously people can call their customers customers. But we think everyone, you just try to create everyone to be a fan. So that's how we look at it, and I think it really opens your eyes. We, we have idea paloozas where we get our entire staff to come up with ideas on how we can create a better fan experience, and that's all we focus on. Yeah. Now, paradoxically, you've also shared with me that you love your employees more than your customers. So I know where you're going with this. Some of our listeners may know where you're going with this. In fact, uh, those of us who on the call have read my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, know that I spent almost an entire chapter on just this one particular topic. But let's hear it from you as a subject matter expert on the Business Creators Radio Show today. Why is it that you love your employees more than your customers? And what is that, how does that impact your business success? I vividly remember our first day here in Savannah when we showed up at the stadium and the former team had cut the phone lines, they cut the internet lines, and it was myself, my wife, and we had four young employees, a 24-year-old president who was just two years out of college and three 22-year-olds fresh out of college. And I looked at them and I said, wow, they left what they're doing to go take this chance. There's no phone lines. There's no internet lines. We're working in this. I was like, wow. And I remember our president, 24 years old at the time, he wrote letters to the parents of the three 22-year-olds and say, we're going to take care of your kids. We're going to make sure that we're going to take care of them through all the challenges and everything. And it was unbelievably powerful because we believe then that it's our responsibility. I think most employers think that their employees work for them. We think it's the other way. You know, we work for our employees. And when you create that, what's a, what can have a bigger impact on your business? But more importantly, what can have a bigger impact on people? You know, you, we're, we're surrounded by these young people. We have all millennials. They're 22 to 27 years old. And if you look at the statistics now, they're staggering. I, I read recently that everyone, uh, people under 30 years old are leaving a job every 13 months. And in the three years we've been here, we went from four now to 15 full-time. We've had zero voluntary turnover. And I think that's based on the wow. fact that we're constantly thinking, what are their goals? How can we help them personally? Um, I mean, we've sent one of our young people to game one of the World Series with his dad because that was the one bond they had with the Cleveland Indians. And we surprised them and, you know, called his dad. His dad started crying. You know, it wasn't a cheap trip, but it was so worth it. And you think about those. How can you empower your people? How can you recognize them? And then when they do that, they give the fans an even better experience. So constantly my job, I think, is to be a mentor, be a leader, and be a coach and help them pursue their dreams and what they can achieve. And when they do that, everything else takes care of itself. So that is where we start. And here's the secret, and I'll share. Fans first, that's our whole mentality. Who are our biggest fans? They're actually our people, and that's our employees. Right. And we believe that. They're the ones that wear the merchandise. They're the ones that call their parents when something great happens because they're proud of it. And so we want to treat them the best. Internally, fans first means our people first, and then our actual fans that come to the games. Right. And, you know, what I've shared is the ripple effect because what happens – at work does impact your customers. If you have somebody who is being, let me give you an example. Let's say somebody feels that uh, they've just been punished for doing a good deed. Do you really think that they're going to go above and beyond for your customer? 
<laughs> yeah, no yeah, chance. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I remember one time, and I'll, I'll actually, I'm not even going to say a friend of mine. I'm going to say this happened to me. This was about 16, 17 years ago when I worked for a company, and it was the beginning of December. We, was back when I was living in Pittsburgh, we had a freak snowstorm. Just, it wasn't even predicted, just seven inches dumped on us out of the blue, which means not only was it early in the season for it to happen, but because it was a freak snowstorm, there hadn't, I mean, there couldn't logically have been rational preparation done by the people who clear the roads. So they were caught by surprise as much as anybody else. So you can't blame them and say they were, they were messing around getting the roads done because they did the best they could as soon as they could. I couldn't get out of my driveway. I couldn't get out of the road. Uh, even to get to the end of the road, and then what I and then what I uh, you know to compound it, my dad. I, I was still living at home. My dad had been coming home from work, and on his way home from work, he had got caught in a snowstorm, and he was involved in an automobile collision where one of the people died. Obviously, not my oh, dad, wow. but one of the other people died. So I wow. just uh, so I've so uh, the road in front of the house is not paved. Uh, no preparation for this, and my father naturally, I mean, the accident wasn't his fault, and he wasn't the only person in the accident, obviously, but yeah, if somebody dies as part of a situation you're in, isn't that going to affect you a little bit? And isn't that yeah. going to affect the ones around you? So, uh, so you know, at work that day, what was supposed to happen is we were supposed to have a, a shareholders meet or a stakeholders meeting, and I couldn't get there. So I spoke with my supervisor. I said, look, I know that there's some stuff that needs to be done to cancel and reschedule this thing. I can't get out of my driveway. And he said, well, log in and make the calls and emails and take care of it. So I did that. And then next thing I know, I get another call from my boss. Apparently, somebody was saying, well, why isn't Adam working today? And Why is he doing this from home? And went to his boss's boss. And his boss's boss, you know, who's a member of senior management, just had to show how senior management he is and throw this big, I'm going to call it a bitch fit because it's what it was, about how uh, I, as it was reported to me, this senior management person said, Adam either drags his ass through the snow to get here or he gets written up for an unexcused absence. Wow. Well, do you, do you think that going forward, if I had trouble getting to work that day, that I had any problem saying, screw it, I'm not coming in, and I'm calling off. Hmm. Yeah, unbelievable. And so how long ago was yeah. that you were with that company? 16 years, and I'm still telling you about it. I think that's where you were headed. <laughs> so wait, 16 years, you left that company 16 years ago? Yep. See, my, my, my question, have you ever sent a thank you letter to them? No. As, as crazy as that sounds, as hard as that sounds, I look at, like, those terrible things sometimes are the best things that can happen to you because it makes your whole opinion, vision of everything and what you're doing now. And to send a thank you, hey, this is what happened. It was so tough on me, and this was a challenge, but it helped pave the way for where I am now. And a thank you letter. And getting yeah. that off yourself, man, I, Adam, I, that's, that's brutal. I can't imagine you went through that. But going through that stuff, man, whew, if you actually turn the other way and have gratitude for it, it changes everything. Well, maybe I'll consider that. But I'll tell you another thing that came to mind here is it made me think, all right, so I'm now a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. I have people who work for me. I have contractors and such like that. And maybe something comes up on their end where, boy, I really needed them to work today, but they can't do it. Or they fall a little short on their deliverable once in a while. Or I just noticed that 
something seems a little off in their output. So mm-hmm. what it did, so what it informed me to do was to be able to say, pause, wait a minute. There's another side to the story here. So I'm not going to say, get off your ass and do the job or I'll find somebody else. Mm-hmm. That would be the inappropriate approach. My approach <laughs> is going to be to find out what's going on. And in the couple cases I've had to do this, it was usually just one of a couple things. There was a, a misunderstanding about what the expectations were, which are easily resolved. You just re reclarify and reconfirm. Or they had a little bit of an issue going on in their life. So now that it's out on the table, you work around that so that everybody gets what they need. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always, if someone's being a jerk or having issues, it's always their fault. It's, 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 it's in, not their fault. It's internal what they're going through. Always. And I think right. like you were saying, I think more people catch bosses, leaders, managers, catch people doing things wrong as opposed to catching people things, doing things, catching people doing things right. And that's the challenge. If you're constantly catching people doing things wrong, that's all they're noticing. Um, I, I couldn't yeah. agree with you more. And I, have you, are you familiar with Sean Aker? Sean Aker, the happiness advantage and big potential. Yep. And he, he shared yep. the story of he went on this cruise ship and they asked him to interview all the employees and the whole crew. And because they were having issues with the crew, weren't engaged, they weren't happy. And so he interviewed all of them. And this, this crew had been all over the world, literally traveled everywhere. It had been the most epic parties in the most beautiful cities. And he asked them, what were the best moments? What were your favorite moments of being on this ship so far? And 90% answered, it was when I was praised by my direct supervisor. It's when I got recognized by my manager. That was it. That mattered more than anything. Yeah. Yet today, still, we, we look past that. Oh, why aren't those reports done? Why aren't those deliverable done? You know, I'm constantly asking our people, who are you recognizing today and how are we recognizing them? And every week we have our staff send a fan's first email. What was something that someone else on the staff did that was fan's first this week? And so we're constantly looking for wow. recognition. Yes. So that, that's taken a while to get there, but that's what we've learned, how powerful that is. Wow. That's, that, and that is very powerful. And, you know, you're right, because I can all, you know, what's also in my memory, just over the years, is all those little moments of praise that I've gotten, whether it's from an employer back when I used to be in the corporate world, or from a client, or from a stakeholder, or what have you, just those, sometimes just that very simple, hey, good job, that tends to reverberate as well. And I think you've heard the, uh, you know, people say that you should write this stuff down and put it on a piece of paper, so any day you're feeling down, just take it out and remind yourself that you do have value and your brilliance and your passion do make an impact on the world. A hundred percent. It means so much. I actually have a, uh, in my drawer of the office, I have a box of every thank you letter I've received over the last two years. It sounds crazy, but it just, whenever you're thinking like, oh, I'm not making an impact, I'm not making a difference. And you realize all these people that took the time to write how you're making an impact to keep those and be able to come back to them, just like you're saying. And, you know, I, I, I started this about three years ago. I called it the thank you experiment. And every morning I would write a thank you letter to someone that made an impact in my life. And I was going to do it for one year, except what problem happened. I kept having to do it. And now I've been doing it for, <laughs> I do it every morning. I've been yeah. doing it now for three years. And the gratitude, starting a day with gratitude, it's unbelievable. People said, well, how do you do it? And I say this in a weird way. It's one of the most selfish things I do. Because it makes me feel amazing yeah. that I'm able to tell someone how much of the, how much they've made an impact on me or appreciate them. So I think gratitude is is, is something we we're talking about taking care of your employees. I mean, you got to have gratitude, recognition, and praise, and uh, you got to train it though. It's like a muscle. That's why writing those thank you letters yeah. can help me. Yeah, and and that's not selfish, by the way, in my opinion. 
Uh, I view that as how can you serve the world better by giving up your very last dime or from the generosity of an overflowing cup? So in order to have that overflowing cup, you got to look out for number one. So speaking of looking out for number one, we've covered loving your employees more than your customers. And there's a few more things I want to cover in our 20 or 25 minutes left here. Uh, so let's move on down that, that, that line, so to speak. And now let's get into, and I'm so excited about this, by the way, why it is that you love your customers more than your product? <laughs> Think about this question. How many times does someone ask you, what do you do? Or you ask someone and they lead with their product. They say, I sell this. <sighs> I do this. How often do they ask I've actually spent, I've told the story that I had to have my name badge for my Rotary Club change because it said consultants on it as my profession. And I got so tired of people I'd never even interacted with pointing to my name tag and saying, so what kind of consulting do you do, uh, Alan, <laughs> Adam? Oh, God. I paid money to have that thing changed to say author, speaker. Because I don't want to tell people what I do. It's so boring. But if you want to ask me about my book, I'll tell you all about Groundhog Days and the Vet Not a Business Strategy. And if you're real nice to me, I might even give you an autographed copy. Notice the change in my voice, my tonality, my energy? 100%. I, if I ever ask people what they do, and I hate that question, the only thing I'm looking for is the passion and the energy. They could say they sell rubber yeah. bands, but if they're passionate about it, I'll keep asking the questions. I want to know why. They're passionate about it. Want to know the secret yeah. sauce that has them excited. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I think that's the thing. So when, when I say love your customers more than you love your product, our business is called Fans First Entertainment. Our, our mission: Fans First, Entertain Always. We bring people right. together. We care for them. I mean, everything is talking about people and our fans. And so yes, we just happen to have a baseball team that's kind of like a circus here at the ballpark. But everything's with yeah. our fans. And so we map the journey. I mean, I can't tell you. My, my staff's probably like, Jesse, you, you constantly over and over talk about this. I'm like, because what else matters? Guys, anybody can see a baseball game anywhere else. But how, how many other places can they see where we literally have our players greeting fans when they're coming in? We're having the band out as fans are walking into the stadium. We're having our staff dress up in banana costumes, ripping your banana-shaped tickets that are scratch and sniff and smell like bananas. You know, we put a tried attention to every single detail to make that experience, create that wow factor. And that's what we talk about. it. And I'll tell you, Adam, I, I believe that the first impression matters, but I also believe the last impression leaves the lasting impression. And so many companies don't get the last impression right. And we focus so hard on this at our game. When the game's ending, we have our whole staff, all of our players, we have our band on the stage outside of the stadium. We even had s'more stations where we're giving away free s'mores for kids some nights. And we're just out thanking our fans and hugging them and dancing with them and singing with them. Because when they leave, we want to say, we've never been a part of something like this. This was special for our family. And it's not necessarily the product. It's just us there putting them first. And so that's everything for us. We map the journey. We focus on it. We talk about it. And I believe every business can do that. You know, I mean, literally one thing we do is every single person who buys a ticket or buys merchandise from us online, we call and thank them. Every single one. Does that take a wow. ton of time? You better believe it. But I'll tell you, when someone gets a call or a voicemail and says, hey, this is so-and-so with the Savannah Bananas, just wanted to thank you so much for getting tickets from us. We can't wait to have you at our game. Your tickets are in our vault. They're ready for you to go bananas. We can't wait to have you at the stadium. Blah, blah, blah. And that's it. Just a simple thank you call. People are shocked. 
But, I mean, it's just a nice touch. We want them to feel like they're cared for. They're not just another number in the seat. They're a fan to us that matters. And that's how we look at it. And you, and you know, what's come up a lot on the Business Creators Radio Show lately, especially when it comes to marketing via the telephone, is you have a couple things going on when you look at statistics. Now, this is another thing that goes back, you know, well nigh 20 to 30 years, is that when it comes to phone calls that are unexpected and or coming from an unfamiliar phone number, since we all got caller ID, that mm-hmm. – 80 to 90% of those calls will go directly to voicemail, whether mm-hmm. the person is available to take the call or not. It's amazing. Then you just so, leave so, a so voicemail. Catch, so catch, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, so catch that. So catch that. And I'm, I'm, and I'm not done here, by the way. It actually goes further. Yeah. So, again, this is even going back 20 years. I'll say it again. It's even going back 20 years. Even if the person is sitting right there watching their phone ring, if the call is unexpected and or coming from a number – that they don't recognize. Notice I said and or, because maybe they recognize the number and they just don't feel like answering. 80 to 90% of the time, when you amalgamate a number of different studies, it will go to voicemail. Now, let's fast forward to 2018. In 2018, a similar percentage of folks don't even listen to their voicemail. If they do listen to their voicemail, they either have something set up so that it transcribes it and emails them a transcript, or it emails them an MP3 that they go into their email, or text them an MP3 as they click on to listen that way. We're pretty much past the days where people log in to check their voicemail. If it's not fed to them, then they're not getting it. Now, the advantage of what you're doing is because when it comes to delivery of voicemail, those who check their voicemails will – those that check their voicemails will uh, – either get it transcribed automatically and emailed to them or emailed or texted to them uh, as, a trans, as, as an MP3, you're actually increasing the chances they're going to listen to it because they don't have to dial in and enter their security code. That's number one. Mm. Number two is at the same time that people will rarely respond to a phone number they don't recognize, if they don't recognize the number – they're also fairly likely to look it up because they're wondering who's calling them. And if Mm -hmm. if when they Google that phone number that you're calling from, they happen to see that it is the Savannah Bananas calling, and they just bought their ticket yesterday, they put two and two together, which then turns around and increases the chances that they'll say, wait a minute, did they send me a voicemail? I hope there's not a problem with my ticket. So it increases the chances you're going to get attention to that contact, which otherwise might be ignored. And they will hear you saying thank you. So it's worth it to yeah. make the call. Yeah, you know, it's a good point. I appreciate you bringing it up because, yeah, it's almost like will it become in the form of snail mail um, in the sense that, you're right, voicemails may become more. I mean, again, I don't – I read the transcription. I'm, I'm 100% with you, but I don't get – I get very few voicemails now. So the ones I do, I read the transcription. Yeah, 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 that's, that's yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Like I can't remember the last time I've listened to a voicemail because uh, for one of my for one of my phone numbers I have it automatically transcribed, and for the other my assistant triages all my incoming calls that are mm. unscheduled. So uh, she'll usually summarize it for me and then send it to me, and then I'll know what it's about if anything. So mm. what's also yeah. great about this is the fact. When what's also great about this, and boy, I say you've really inspired me here because this this is all very important is the fact that you do this so quickly after they purchase the tickets. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because a system. Again, human, it's developing a process. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, because of attention spans they are in this day in this day and age. I think I made this point on another show just very recently, or a couple shows very recently, is let's say today you leave somebody a voicemail. If they haven't responded to that voicemail by tomorrow and you call them out on it saying, hey, I called you yesterday and I didn't hear back, they're going to they're gonna think of you like you're a cyclops and that, uh, that you've completely outstepped the bounds of acceptable social behavior. We'll see what's <laughs> happened. It's because our, 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 our attention spans have been shortened and because our view of the world now looks like a news feed flying by rather than a list of items to be checked off, your voicemail has a shelf life of about three hours. <laughs> so if you if you left them a message yesterday and they haven't returned the call, that voicemail is dead. It no longer exists. You have to try mm. again. Well, like, and, and uh, I, like I, I, yeah. Sorry, Don. Yeah. I, I was no, just going to say, in our, in our sense, on our sense, we're just trying to give without asking for anything in return. So we leave voicemails. Yeah, we don't uh, ah. yeah. And that's and that's the key for us. I think so many times when people are calling, they need a favor or they're sending emails. I heard this the other day. Emails are OPP, other people's priorities or other people's problems. And when we're calling, we're trying to see how can we just, hey, we just want to thank you. That's it. Nothing else in return. So if they get it, they get it. If they don't get it, they get it. But, I mean, ideally, that's what it's all about for us. And I think if more people can actually call people just to say something, just to thank them or appreciate them or just say something nice, people might be inclined to answer more of their phone calls. But now, whenever the phone's ringing, usually like, what does this person want? <laughs> and that's a whole different way of uh, expectations from the calls. And that's that's one thing that's worked for us. Wow, it's like it's like it's like I set up the pins and you just rolled three strikes in a row. My cat's looking <laughs> at me weird because while you were saying that, I was running around the office doing the raise the roof gesture. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think that leads to the next thing I wanted to cover with you because I think this may actually be an example of it. You want to spend a little bit of time, and I think this is very important for our audience as well, on how attention beats marketing 1,000% of the time. I believe that might be an example of it. Correct me if I'm wrong. And otherwise, develop that topic a little bit more because I think it's so important. <laughs> you know, again, we had to realize this firsthand, and this was this is back when we first came to Savannah, as I mentioned earlier, and we were promoting like crazy trying to get people to buy tickets, all the conventional marketing, you know, everything from emails to we are on the radio, the newspaper, the TV, we were doing everything, but it, w it was the same as everyone else. It wasn't until we decided to name the team after a fruit and then come up with all these crazy things like offering Obama an internship with us after his, his term was over. I mean, from literally naming a bat dog of an abandoned puppy to, you know, coming up with Dolce and Banana underwear at the ballpark where we put a giant banana on the crotch of underwear and sold it. You know, we started coming up with all these things. And once we got the eyes and the ears of our customers, then they understood what we we're about. And, you know, I believe this, that normal gets normal results. And whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that has been our guiding light on everything. Because if you're doing the same thing as everyone else, no one's paying attention. And, and, and I've seen this over and over again. And, and, you know, you think about businesses that say, you know, we're a little bit better. We're a little bit faster. We're a little bit quicker. Well, if you're a little bit er, you're not that different. And better isn't different. Only is different. What are you the only one doing? And that's why we pride ourselves in all these a lot of things we do. We're the only team with a breakdancing first base coach. We're the only team, baseball team, with a 30-piece pep band. We're the only team with a banana nana senior citizen dance team. We're the only team with playing uh, dancing players. The only team that does all-you-can-eat tickets. 
for every ticket. And we constantly ask that to our people. And even in our events, we think about this, you know, we're the only all-you-can-eat food truck festival we hosted here a couple months ago. The only morning beer festival where you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. And I'm listing lots of examples, but basically just to show that creates attention because people start talking about it. And so once we've got that, then they start realizing, wow, these guys are truly fans first in everything they do. We could be all fans first, but if people don't get to see us or hear us or know what we're doing, it doesn't matter. So it all starts with attention. And that's what we've learned. And that's one of the reasons why all of our games have sold out. Yeah. And what I'm getting out of that is when you pay attention to the customers and you create the experience for them, I mean, you could do marketing, which means, you know, let's uh, get the best possible post for the guy up at bat. And, you know, let's make sure that uh, all the yellows on all the cards are exactly correct. And all that stuff is important. Don't get me wrong. But uh, if you start listing things like, uh, you know, your team stats, like, okay, yeah, there are some people there that like baseball. They're going to be very interesting, you're interested in your statistics and how you're doing in your league. True. But is that going to be enough to get them to come in? I mean, because they can follow your stats from home. Mm. You know, I, I, 100%. Most teams, they're promoting constantly the baseball. We don't promote the baseball. We're lucky the baseball takes care of itself because we have sold-out crowds, but we don't promote that. You know, when I'm, when I'm speaking to a business, I, I, ask, I ask these three questions. And they should all write it down. What makes them different? What makes them stand out? And what can they be the best at? And they can't write any word that begins with or finishes with ER because that is not what makes them different, stand out, or make what they can be the best at. And so what can you be the only? What are you the only one doing? And when you're the only, right. you create amazing attention. And that's why we've been fortunate to get the attention that we have because we're doing things other people aren't doing. And, well, that's hard. How can we do things that people are doing? Well, what is normal? And do the exact opposite. If every other podcast is doing this, if every other author is doing this, I mean, that's why you mentioned in the bio, I did a world book tour at Epcot. I literally went to each country around Epcot with my books taking pictures. I actually, I actually got kicked out. The security guard said they're, they're confusing you with the other characters here at Epcot because I was in my yellow tuxedo. But anyways, what did that happen? That created a story, and now I told that story. And so, you know, that's how we try to think of the lens. So what is the lens you're looking at your business? Are you trying to do the same marketing everyone else is and doing the same e-newsletters, the same Facebook posts, et cetera? Or are you actually creating a product that you're the only one doing it? And then you have created attention, and the marketing, the business, everything else takes care of itself. Yeah, I, yeah, and you know, this this reminds me of something you mentioned. You've checked out the Business Creators Radio Show. I I don't know if you've heard my story that I've told so many times, but I love to get up on stages and look into the audience and say, folks, the very last thing that you need or want in your business is to be getting traffic to your website. Love it. See, everybody out there is saying, you got to get more traffic to your website. I mean, they've been telling you that since Internet Marketing Kindergarten. <laughs> so what you should be aiming for is not traffic to your website because what is traffic? To me, traffic is the reason I work from a home office. Website? Well, what's a website? Is that a sales page, an about page, a webinar registration page, a podcast page, a buy your tickets page? a uh, contact page, uh, <laughs> a privacy policy page, a home page. What is it? All those mm. things can be a website, and a website can contain all those things. So what you aim for are to attract visitors to your web pages, 
who follow the three P's of website conversions, pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. What I've done there is taken something that otherwise I would have to be er at. I'd have to be the more trafficker to your website-er if I was in that business. I'm actually not in that part of the continuum, and I never really have been. But if I was specializing in, quote-unquote, getting more traffic to your website, I'd have to be the trafficker to your website-er guy. But if I just take the damn thing and rename it, now I don't have to be better or faster or efficienter than everything anybody else because I just redefined the market for myself. 100%. Sometimes it actually is that simple. And what inspired me to share this with you, Jesse, and with our audience for about the umpteen millionth time is when you said you have to answer those three questions and you're not allowed to use the word that ends in ER. Yeah, no, exactly. I don't know if you're going off in there, but yes, I mean, that's, and so few people actually have that. So few people that they're playing the same game as everyone else. Yeah. So, I mean, you could have uh, built up the Savannah Bananas by just looking at what all the other baseball teams in your league were doing and saying, well, we'll do this because they seem to have people in their stands and we'll just do it a little bit better and get a few more people in our seats. Instead, you decided to go for a model that has you sold out uh, for two straight seasons with a waiting list of thousands for the tickets because you're not focusing on the product. You're focusing on the customers. You're focusing more on the customers than on the product, and you're putting attention ahead of marketing because, hey, if I can't drink beer all day unless I start in the morning, I'm glad you're paying attention to me and getting me a, getting me a Coors at 9 a.m. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love I love how you're putting it all together because yeah, you have to focus on your customer first, and once you realize what your customer is doing, then that actually creates a unique product. If you're truly focusing on your customer, you're not just trying to be a little bit better. There's problems that they're needing, and that's what we realize in the business that we're in. People would come to baseball games, not a lot, but they weren't coming all the time. They weren't selling out ballparks. Baseball attendance is down dramatically. Down over four four percent in Major League Baseball. The 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 fans average age of a fan is in the sixties. Baseball's got some serious challenges. Yet for some reason yeah. at the lowest level of baseball, us at college summer baseball, our attendance is rising, selling out every game. It's because we're not playing that same game. So, you know, if you're in a business, are you playing the same game as everyone else? I always say but don't break the rules, make your own rules. And that's what we're actually right. working on doing and, and every day. And you talk about business creators. What, what, what can you create today? What can you create in your business? And I'll tell you what happens. That lights up your whole entire staff. We talk about our big goal. You know, we're going to change the game of baseball and make a huge difference to bring people together. And, like, that's what we're trying to do. And when we're talking about that, boy, it galvanizes our group every day. What are we doing to be more fans first and change the game of baseball? So that's a big, audacious goal. But if you're creating something that's the, that's the same as everyone else or it's a little bit better, you're not going to bring your people together to make a difference. True. And, you know, what I, what I especially love about what you just shared there is that, uh, you know, it, it really does come down to the attention you pay and how you just don't even try. And, you know, we, and we, see, the, we see this all the time. Uh, I'm not going to get political here, and I'm not going to mention anybody's name, but I think we all know who we're talking about here, is up until a couple years ago, the norm in politics was to be the one who would be uh, you know, to try and win elections by saying, I'm the one that's actually going to lower your taxes. I'm the one that's actually going to get you new jobs. And now what we're starting to see is a certain trend 
of folks who come and say, well, the hell with that. I'm not even, I'm not even playing on that field. Mm-hmm. And their message is something completely different. And that's what we're starting to see when. And sure. what we're also seeing in that model, and you've got me thinking about this because the politics in our country is evolving. And I teach a module on political stability, so I pay a lot of attention to how people speak when it comes to political and other hot-button topics, is that you can have an edge in an election when you focus on your voters. So it's more about your voters than your platform. So you say it's more about the customers than the product. It's more about the voters and the platform. The voters want to feel good, and they, frankly, they want to be entertained. They want to have fun with you. So if you can provide that and get into office and then lower taxes, provide new jobs and all this other stuff, well, good for you. But Mm. we're seeing this across the board, and I wanted to bring that up very briefly just to illustrate that there is factuality to what you share with us in all walks of persuasion, influence, and getting more people to do the things that you want them to do for their reasons. Yeah, and, and again, and I'm not going to jump into that whole political thing, but think about what he was able to do. He created a tension, whether it was right or wrong, yeah. and many people have their own. He created unbelievable tension and then brought them back into his, his sphere, and we make, make America great again. That's, you know, if you can, if you can create a tension. You said it. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. The reason, the reason I wasn't saying the reason I wasn't saying President Trump's name is, and I've actually brought this up on a couple other episodes, is because, and this is where I would, this is where if you hadn't, you know, brought it out, I would have said, and pause, I would have said Jesse, pause. Now think about it. This is going to be the norm going forward, so it doesn't matter who we were referring to here. The trends show us this is the future, so we need to get with it. Yes, yes, and, yeah. and that's, that's, that's the lesson that we can learn from whatever our political view is, that if you're creating attention and bringing people into your funnel and showing your beliefs, and later on, it's the attention first that you've got to get. If you don't have eyes and ears of your customers, good luck. You can be the, the best-hearted, mean well, do everything good, but if you don't get attention, you have nothing. And that's, you know, again, you're talking to a guy in a yellow tuxedo who tries to live by that, um, <laughs> and it's and it's not solely because, you know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get attention just because of, you know, I've got this big ego. It's trying to get attention because I believe in what we're doing. It's amplifying who I am and amplifying our business and then getting them to experience, you know, what we do as far as hopefully taking care of fans and creating the most fan-centered company. So, you know, there's a method to the madness. And uh, people look at me in the yellow tuxedo, especially when I go through airports and I'm going to give a speech. They're like, who does this guy think he is? But I'll tell you, most people laugh and most people enjoy it. And, you know, I'm okay with that. That's creating some attention in a fun way, hopefully. Yeah, well, and in my case, back when I used to own a web development firm 10 years ago, I got a hold of authentic surgical garb that was actually used by a surgeon in a hospital. Well, like a fresh set, not one that had actually been used during a surgery. And, uh, and I branded the comp- I branded myself the website surgeon. I'd go to events dressed up as a doctor, ready to do surgery. It was attractive, and it was more interesting <laughs> than well, we we uh, understand the the best of CSS and WordPress design and plugins and 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 color swatches and server security. Big frickin' whoop! But the doctor's <laughs> outfit was interesting. Now I could have written a book about uh, about you know how. Uh, mindset, communication strategies, and the handling of the prospect of the purchaser to the customer combined with 
influence, persuasion, NLP, and minimalism as a driving factor of maximum results. And I could have found a way to write a book about that called how to do more, how to do less and get more, or something like that, or how to <laughs> say le- how to say how to say less, or how to say more by saying less. I could have come up with all kinds of titles like that. Mm-hmm. It would have been like, oh boy, we've never heard that before. Instead, I called it Groundhog Day as an event, not a business strategy. If you keep mm-hmm. doing the same thing, it's going to be your business results are going to be like that movie Groundhog Day over and over mm-hmm. again. On the cover of my book, yeah. there's a picture of a groundhog. So in my marketing, I have I, I make memes with uh, with with statements superimposed on pictures of groundhogs. People recognize the groundhog. The rest, the rest of the message is whatever it is. So yeah, you gotta have you gotta have fun with this stuff. Now, yeah. we are near the top of the hour, and we have three minutes left. So I want to do one minute, one minute, one minute. Minute number one is tell us what you mean by when everybody needs to have a mirror moment. I want to end on that. Sure. You know, I shared it briefly in the beginning, and that's how I opened my book. And I think everyone needs to look personally and about their business that they're in and look in the mirror and think about what's frustrating me right now, things that I'm doing in the nine to five. What fires am I putting out? When I say that I'm busy all day, what is that frustration? Personally, look at what you're doing there. Then look at the business that you're in. From an industry standpoint, put yourself in the customer's shoes. What frustrates you about the industry? and then do the exact opposite in both senses. That's what I was able to do when I was 23 years old. I was able to look at why I'm doing all these things that I'm not good at. I'm trying to run a team. I'm doing operations. I'm trying to put up signs at the ballpark. I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off. But then I realized where I was the best, and that was being on the field in front of fans and promoting and literally taking selfies with fans. That's, that's who I was. should be doing more of that. And then I realized about the business. Baseball was long, slow, and boring, and people got nickel and dime. Do the exact opposite. Make it nonstop fun. Make it like a circus and make all you can eat tickets. And so I think everybody should do that. And I'll tell you a cool thing that we were able to do with our uh, business. This last year we called it Undercover Fans. And every night we had one of our full-time staff or one of our full-time seasonal interns go undercover as a fan, park with the fans, come into the ballpark, experience an entire game as a fan. And then afterwards at the end of the night where we talk about our fans' first moments, and talk about the great uh, moments for the night, they would give a full recap of everything they experienced as a fan. And now we have a database about 30 pages long of how we can create a better experience because we actually felt it. We didn't just say this is how it is. We felt it as our actual fans and our customers. And that came from a mirror moment. All right. So anybody that wants to have fun with you, what are the next steps? (laughs) <laughs> like I'm the yellow tux guy. So if you search Jesse Cole, yellow tux guy, you'll find stuff. I put out content every single day on LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, really love sharing. And on my uh, website, findyouryellowtux.com, I have the six steps to stand out for free. Uh, it's from my book, the find your yellow tux. So uh, definitely love to engage with you. Uh, a great lesson. I remembered when I was 25 years old, I sent an email out to Mark Cuban and he wrote back within a couple yeah. hours and I was blown away. So I challenge anybody, if there's anything I can help with, any ideas for their business, I will reach back out because Mark inspired me, and if I can help in any way, that's something I love to do. So uh, search the Yellow Tux guy, and we can have some fun. Perfect. All right. So, Jesse Cole, thank you for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Thank you so much. Love what you're doing. All right. And for everybody listening, thank you very much for being with us today. This is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. 
Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.